Welcome to the Grass Matters podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Crothers. On today's podcast, we chat to Danielle Matheson Carr. She and her husband Brad are great southern beef producers who run a Hereford and Angus operation in South Gippsland, Victoria. They've got a real passion for sustainability. They planted 15,000 trees on their farm and that was just last year alone. We chat about what impact it's had on the beef they produce. Danielle, thanks for coming on the podcast. Not a problem at all. It's my pleasure. So it could just be the Sir David Attenborough fan coming out in me, but the moment I learned that you were a zoologist, it just really fascinated me. Is that something that the sort of typical reaction you get? Yes. um, It's just something that people are very interested in in, um, what I do, I guess, because I was working at Hillsville Sanctuary as a zookeeper and I worked a lot with endangered species and um, it's just what everyone sort of dreams, I guess, not everyone, but a lot of people love animals and they want to definitely connect to them and being a zookeeper was definitely a highlight of my career, so yeah. What drew you to zoology? My inspiration to do zoology and be a zookeeper is definitely my passion for animals and the wildlife, um, native wildlife especially in Australia. So right from a child, I've always been passionate about nature and long trips in the car and family holidays. All I wanted to do was get out. And my mum said I'd literally get out of the car and hug a tree and say, ah, nature. It was like my my happy place is to be amongst nature and animals. That's just who I am. <laughs> And so you worked at Hillsville Sanctuary. Was that where you were working with endangered species, particularly with the honey eater? Yes. So I worked at, Hill, at Hillsville Sanctuary and um, I worked there for five years and I was lucky enough to be able to work with endangered species and one of them being the helmeted honey eater. I'm a real birdo. I really, I'm really attracted to bird life. And um, with the helmeted honey eaters, it was like, yeah, the pinnacle. I was able to breed them. Um, and eventually even release them in the wild. Um, There's only a few of them left. And yes, that was definitely the most rewarding part of my career as a zookeeper. In 2005, Danielle, you then moved to your husband Brad's family farm in South Gippsland. Uh, What was your first impression of the place? When I first moved um, to South Gippsland, the farm, my husband's farm, um, I was just a little bit... Uh, I wasn't very happy with this really it was there was hardly any trees and there was a creek going through it and the cattle had definitely eroded it because they go in and out of it drinking from it and climbing up the embankments and I just saw a definite need for some revegetation um, to keep the, the prevent the soil erosion um, and the water clarity keeping the the um, the waterways much healthier um, and so therefore, yeah, it was like my dream when I saw his property, it was almost like an empty slate. I was like, ooh, you know, this is something that I can do something about. Um, because when I did finish at the sanctuary, I was definitely looking for something to do to make a positive impact on the environment. And when I saw my husband's farm, I was like, yep, this is, this is my calling. This is, this is where I'm meant to be because I need to do something about this. It's really fascinating you say that because I can just imagine as a third generation farmer, how does it then go for someone's wife being yourself to come into the property and say you want to change things? Because I don't imagine every family operation would take too kindly to that. 
<laughs> well, yes, my husband being the third generation farmer, um, you would think that he would be very set in his ways. Um, like his his grandfather was came to the area from Croatia, and back in the day, if you got um, a fam, if you did buy a farm, it was one of those prerequisites to to completely clear fell the whole land, like the whole um, farm, in order for you to get the best productivity for the land that you've got. So it was almost like you had to, you had to do it. So, and then for Brad, my husband, when I came into town, it was like, he was, I guess because, you know, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> he's just, he just loves me and whatever I want to do. He's just, but he also, the benefits um, that I talked about for the cattle as well, because we're on a, on a cattle farm. It wasn't just for the wildlife, um, it was also for the cattle. Like the cattle have shelter belts now, like they can hide from the elements of the weather. And he even says now that um, the winter's just been, just gone, that in the past there was no way we could sell cattle because that is the time of the year where they're at their poorest. They don't have as much, um, you know, shelter, that they were always cooler trying to get warmer and that was where their energy was going throughout winter. Whereas nowadays, now that there's a lot of shelter, the cattle are staying warmer and protected. So we were able to even sell cattle for the first time this winter just gone, simply just because they're not using their energy to keep warm because they have that shelter that we've created with the trees that we've planted. So he's convinced. He's convinced now. Um, and right from the start, he's just let me do my thing. And he sees the benefits now. So he's very, very happy. And we're continuing to plant every single year because of what the benefits are for the cattle, but um, also for the environment. He understands that as well. What was the first change you set about doing? Bass Coast Land Care um, in the South Gippsland area, they have um, every year they put up in the paper and everything where, that you can apply for a grant to get plantings done on your farm. So um, we uh, contacted Landcare, Bass Coast Landcare, and they um, came over to the farm and the first thing they saw was that we had a creek going through our property and their eyes lit up like, yes, this is what we want to do. Because for them, their first priority um, to plant is, is the waterways, to put, you know, healthy waterways system. Um, and that is just by planting that out. And Brad was very, my husband was very um, relaxed with that. He said, yes, okay, by all means, we'll plant that out first. And that's how the ball started rolling. We first started planting out all the waterways. We fenced off the area ourselves. My husband is a, um, a rural fence contractor. So we were able to fence it off ourselves. And then with the help of land care and the grant we got for the trees, we were able to plant it all out. And that also involved the community. We had a, a local school come and help and plant that area out and subsequent plantings over the years definitely community groups have been part of that and it's just a really rewarding thing for everyone. How many trees would you have planted in that area over that time? Oh gosh, that's a really good question. So the very first planting we did in the creek uh, was about 19,000 trees um, and then ever since that every year, like last year for example, we did a 15,000 tree one on the other property that we have. So, and this is just every year, um, we even did direct seeding, like where you plough at a section a section of your farm um, that at least 10 metres wide, but we did 15 metres wide. 
and pretty much you get the plough and you plough it all up and you get the seed and you just go along and then just throw the seed out. So the the amount of trees is like, yeah, hundreds of thousands of trees. <laughs> yeah, plenty more and plenty more to come too because I've got lots of other areas I'd like to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's no small feat. Just to provide some context for other producers who might be listening, what's the size of your properties? So what are they sort of looking at here in terms of scale? The first property, like where my husband uh, originally was, um, that we live on, um, this is a 400-ish um, acres. And then the property we inherited, which is my um, husband's uncle, um, he was a bachelor, um, and that that, that one's about 350, so about 750 acres in total. It's a huge number of trees then. So what portion of your property would you say now that you've replanted then? That's a good question. Um, I'm aiming for at least 20%. We're probably, oh, on the first property, probably 15, um, 10, 15. Um, and but there's more in the pipeworks that we're, we're trying to get organised. Um, so we aim for at least 20%, maybe up to 25 And apparently you can plant up to 20 25% of your property with no, um, you know, with, with the productivity of your cattle not being harmed at all. If anything, it actually helps with the cattle um, productivity because they've got a lot more shelter from the elements and they get fatter quicker. You can sell them throughout winter because they're, they're not trying to keep warm in the, um, the barren area. If anything, we're, our cattle are thriving even more just because we've been planting. So, yeah, so it's definitely a plus for everyone, plus, a plus for the cattle, plus for the farmer, and a plus for the wildlife. So win-win. <laughs> Danielle, did you want to tell us a little bit about uh, your particular shelter belts? So our shelter belts are pretty much along, we have two different kinds. We have the first shelter belt that we have is actually a plantation that goes through waterways. So on either side of the, the bank of the waterway, so we have a creek. So 10 metres on either side of the creek have been planted all the way around it. And that's the first kind of um, plantation that we focused on. Um, and that means that the cattle can't get in there and destroy the plantation um, or erode the soil of the, ba the bank of the river or the creek that we have planted it in. So that's the first kind of shelter belt. We also call it a habitat corridor. So it's for animals to move, to move from one lot of bush to another. So they don't have to be exposed to any predation um, by not having any cover for them to to run from one patch of, of bushland to another. And the second lot of um, habitat corridor or shelter belt, as I call it, um, are direct seeding um, places where it's fenced off from the cattle and it's all along our fence line between paddocks. And it just, it's just at least 10 metres wide. Um, if it's any any narrower than 10 metres, then the, the, the wind and everything um, prevents it from um, growing strongly, it, it just gets in between all the trees and the trees don't, they suffer much more. Um, so at least 10 metres means there's a buffer zone so that the trees can thrive and the animals can actually have a bit of a habitat in there. So that's the second habitat or shelter belt that we have is along 
um, paddock, in between paddocks along fence lines at least 10 metres wide. We do ours at hours 15 just to make sure that the, the buffering zone of the, the weather is going to ensure that the trees um, stay upright and not get blown over or anything like that. We always know that neighbours love having a look over the fence. Have you started a bit of a movement or what reaction have you received? Well, yes, it's funny you say that um, we do have neighbouring farms and, and farmers are interested in what's going on because my husband's very well known um, in the area, of course, being third generation, like everyone knows everyone. My husband's also a rural fence contractor. He goes around to other farms and creates fences for them and there's a lot of chit-chat and they like the idea of what Brad's doing and what I'm doing. And so they have been inspired by it, especially our neighbours right over the, uh, the other side of the creek, over the bridge. They've done the exact same thing. They liked what we did. And so our, the habitat corridor that we have going through our creek now joins on to their side of the creek over the bridge. So, And um, that's all been planted out as well. And it's just so... It's very rewarding to see that and um, a lot of people are saying, where did you get you know, the trees from? And we talk about Bass Coast Landcare and they go straight onto it. And um, yeah, it's, 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 really, it's a really um, amazing thing to do because you don't, you're not actually spending a lot of money on any of that. It's a, because of the grants that you receive from the government through Landcare, um, you the, the outlay in terms of costs is hardly anything. It's and also you benefit from it and the wildlife and the cattle. So it's it's not a costly thing at all. If you can get your land care involved and um, sort of tell them what you're um, wanting to do, especially if you've got some waterways going through your property, it's definitely a thing you can do um, to yeah benefit your farm and and the wildlife. So yes. Just on that, what sort of grants are out there? Like, there's lots of grants. Um, it, it, it all depends on who's going to fund it, like carbon offsets as well. There's a lot of companies um, that want to offset their carbon somehow. And so they, they, they put, that, put it out there, not just the government um, bodies, but even just local businesses or, you know, mining or, or all those sort of big companies, they, they look to Landcare to somehow offset the carbon that is now being done by a lot of companies. And they, they ask Landcare if they can put, um, create a fund, a grant, and then they can, um, we can, because um, I work for Landcare now, I'm so inspired by them, um, that we can actually go out and um, plant for that company on other people's properties to offset their carbon. So it's a very, yeah, very beneficial for all, all involved. Danielle, regenerative agriculture means different things to different people. Some people see it just as a natural path as part of good farming, whereas others can tend to be a little bit more apprehensive. What would you say it means to you? Oh, it just it just makes you feel like, yes, you know, some people don't eat meat because they think it's not good for the environment. Or, um, I'm, I'm, it's it's our way of showing that you can have a sustainable farming practices like you it can be sustainable you don't have to upset the environment if anything you can encourage a healthy environment by by doing what I do what we do as a sustainable farming like um, by planting out trees like it benefits the wildlife and it's um it, it as I said it doesn't cost 
there's, there's no cost really involved if you get a grant to for land care or um, to, to come and plant it out. And on top of that, you're benefiting, your cattle is benefiting from the plantations through being having shelter. And it's one of the most basic needs of any living thing is to have shelter, food, shelter, um, and shelter. And to have that for your animals is a massive animal husbandry plus. It's just proving to people that you care about your animals, you care about the environment, and that's the way things are going these days. It's all about sustainable farming. And um, I would definitely recommend that to any farmers out there because the benefits are already showing for us that, as I said, like through winter now, we can we can sell cattle, whereas in the past we couldn't. What do you see next for your place? The next thing for our place, I, I feel like it's, it's just, yeah, it's never enough, I think, for me. <laughs> I see areas all the time where I feel, oh, that would be a nice area as well to plant out. And I think more shelter belts, um, where our habitat corridors, as I would like to call it, but my husband calls them shelter belts, so shelter for the cattle. Uh, well, I call them the habitat corridors. Doesn't matter what you call it, they're they're both um, different terms for um, looking after either the, the cattle or the wildlife. So I'm always looking for since we've got this second property now that we've inherited. There are definitely areas that we're going to revegetate, like we have some old growth. Um, We've got some old trees that have been fenced off, old gums, and they're um, full of bird life and there's kangaroos and wombats. There's a lot of bird life and and wildlife, but because the understory hasn't been, has been recently, has been chewed out by cattle in the past, we fenced it all off and we're going to keep that as like a bit of a happy area for the wildlife by by planting out some understory that's another thing I want to do is do that big area. I mean, there's, it's endless for me. And my husband's like, well, I can see the benefits for the cattle and he sees the benefits of happy wife. So if you want to, <laughs> if you, <laughs> yeah, see, he just, he just goes along with it. And also, as I said, like you can plant so much of your property and not have any loss of productivity for your cattle. Um, and you're doing your bit for the environment and you can always say carbon offsets on your farm. That can be a huge carbon offset um, that you can prove um, to the local shire with your rates as well, like your rates are reduced because you're offsetting that carbon. So, yeah, it, it just benefits everything. So I would say what I, my next project is, next well, next planting season, there'll be something else happening and you just watch this space. <laughs> What would you say would be the biggest misconception about taking this approach? I th- I think the biggest misconception is farmers love grass if they've got beef cattle, of course. Like even my husband, he just loves grass, and that's great. It's good to have a grassy area because cattle need to eat grass. But um, I guess farmers are probably a bit worried that they're going to lose productivity, and 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 I can reassure them. And my husband being a third generation farmer. And he's seen it right from the start that it, it, it actually is benefiting the productivity of this, the cattle that you have. And, it, you know, you can sell them throughout winter rather than wait until summer. They, they keep warmer. They, they're less stressed. Like an, a, a, an animal that's not stressed will, won't lose as much weight and lose as much condition. And same with being cold throughout the winter. They can huddle. So they're going to keep warmer and not, not expend their energy on trying to keep warm. 
and it's just a win-win for everyone and yeah. Danielle, Brad said that it was his destiny to take over the farm. Do you think your children, Holly and Roman, will follow suit? Oh, definitely. My kids are like a mini-me, really, but they're also a mini-Brad. Like, they really want to continue with the farming, but they are so passionate about animal welfare, but also about wildlife. They are... Yeah, they're sort of like me when I was young, you know, save every little you know, insect or something like there's a beetle and they would quickly take it out of the house or, and they'd be so gentle with animals. And, and yeah, they, they're very inspired by both of us because my husband's a very good farmer and, um, and I love to plant out trees. And so we make a really good, good couple and it's really good influence on the kids and my daughter, who's in grade six, she's a school captain, and one of her her um, her big speech to be a school captain was one of the things she wants to change in the world, and that is a healthier environment, and for the school to have water tanks and buy recycled paper for them to use because their books aren't made from recycled paper. And she notices these things. And my son's a real um, gardener. And it makes me proud that they want to take over the farm but and also do it in a sustainable way. They sound pretty incredible. Just to round things out, Danielle, uh, last supper, you get to choose one final meal. What would it be? Oh, that's a good question. I love my veggies. <laughs> um, probably, I guess, a home-cooked meal with all our family and my husband makes a beautiful salad and um, we, we, have, we buy this sustainably fished <laughs> um, salmon, Alaskan salmon, and I reckon my husband's home-cooked meals. He makes, he's, a great, he's a great cook. <laughs> what well, sounds pretty good to me. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Should I have said I should have had beef? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, my husband would have said a steak, but like. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Grass Matters podcast. Remember, this drops every Thursday at two o'clock, so please feel free to listen on whatever device it may be. And also, you can leave a review if you do like what you're listening to. You can also follow us on our socials at The Great Southern Family.